time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, cause it's on now. The Tom Sumner program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. As promised earlier, we're going to be talking about race relations and uh, what to do about it. There have been lots of conversations recently, lots of protests, and uh, we're going to talk about an interesting approach called the um, 21-Day Racial Equity Habit Building Challenge with two of its creators. Debbie Irving, who's been on the show before uh, um, after her book, uh, Waking Up White. Uh, Debbie, welcome. Thank you. Good to hear your voice, and nice to be back. And uh, joining her, and I think I'm pretty sure this is her first time on the show, Marguerite Pennick parks but she sounds like she's going to be fun and interesting and all the things that make a good guest. Marguerite, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me here. Um, first of all, let's, let's get the obvious out of the way. What is the 21-Day Racial Equity Habit Building Challenge, and couldn't you have come up with a shorter name? <laughs> Marguerite, you want to take that or should I? I, I, I think you should, Debbie. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's funny. The person who came up with this idea, so Marguerite and I are definitely heavily involved. We're authors of it and have been from nearly the start, but the brainchild is Dr. Eddie Moore, Jr., uh, who is a black man. He is the founder and director of the White Privilege Conference. He started that 21 years ago. Can you imagine the pushback he got then? Um, and he has a habit of creating long, informative titles. And, uh, you know, I've gotten used to it. The title says it all. 21 days, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be building your habits around racial equity to become a better anti-racist. So, yeah, long title. Is this a matter of building new habits or undoing old bad habits? Hmm. I, this is Marguerite. I, say, I think it's going to be a little bit of both, depending on who you are and where you are. 
because it gives you a variety of things that you can do, read, watch, talk to people. So depending on where you are, it may build new habits for you, but you may also read or watch something that will make you rethink something you already thought you knew. Because we do a lot of a lot of things that are dismissive of other races and cultures without even realizing we're doing it. Yes, absolutely. So 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 much of becoming an anti-racist is for white people is raising our awareness around issues that we didn't know and that might be big systemic issues that live outside of us and it might also be the kinds of behaviors and attitudes we carry with us because of our socialization into um, into whiteness or white culture. I, I uh, remember a friend of mine, a musician, who um, every time a, a black couple would walk into the place they were performing, he would immediately play something that was identifiable with black culture. And I always thought, mm-hmm. I, I always thought that while he didn't intend that to be offensive he meant it sort of to be welcoming it maybe wasn't taken that way yes we you know every day we do these things called microaggressions um, which are really just doing things that we subconsciously don't realize are aggressive but really are or really make a point or really individualize people or tokenize people and do all of those things so you know, and that's one of the things that the 21-day challenge hopefully will help you realize is that what you might be doing might, in essence, be a microaggression at some point, which is harming people without intending to harm people. And in the social justice field, we talk about the difference between intent and impact. So what is your intention? Your intention might be great, but your impact on that person might be harmful. Or at the very least, not so great. Debbie, we've talked about this an, a number of times, um, wondering, you know, we've, for, for at least a decade, maybe a couple of decades, there's been this narrative of we've got to have conversation about race in this country, and all kinds of conversations started taking place and on public television and in town halls all over the country. And they were, at, at the end, um, there was this, this nagging question, what do I need to do? What can I do? Does this challenge answer that question? Oh, I think um, I would love to answer that in two parts. I'd love to respond, and then I'd love to have Marguerite respond. Because I think that we can't underestimate the power of having conversations, and it's not enough. The reason conversations, uh, as you point to the last few decades, what happened in the 1960s with the civil rights movement was the enactment of colorblind policy. We were not going to, you know, we were going to have race neutral, as if there is such a thing, policy. And that sort of leaked out into the overall culture. And there, there came this idea that, and I grew up in a household, that thought it was rude to talk about race. We, we literally said, I don't see color. I don't have a racist bone in my body. I don't see color. And so if we're living in a colorblind era or being raised in it as I was, and we've agreed that we're not going to talk about race because, hey, we don't even see it, um, 
then we come out of our childhood. We've created a culture in which talking about it is taboo. We don't have the language. We don't have the understanding. We're terrified of saying something stupid. And so the reason that there's been a push for conversation, sometimes it's called breaking the white silence, um, is to get away from the idea of colorblindness. Because, of course, we see color, and color matters. And it's important that we recognize uh, one another's racial identities because it has such an influence on in how we experience the world. And yet, we do need to move to action. And Marguerite has worked closely uh, with students using this plan, um, this challenge as an action plan. So, Marguerite, you want to pick it up there? Certainly, Debbie. Thank you. And the other thing I want to say, you know, Debbie and I, we talk about, she talks about her life, and I grew up in the South in the 60s, and my family talked about race all the time. So when I moved to the Midwest, where they talk about Midwest nice, um, where, like Debbie said, nobody knows how to talk about race. And I trained K-12 teachers, principals, and superintendents in the Midwest, and they don't know how to talk about race. So in essence, what they do is they enter the classroom and they continue to perpetuate this, we're not going to talk about race. And they don't read books that talk about race because they're uncomfortable bringing that subject up into their classroom. And um, so I've used this. And I think that with the 21-Day Action Plan, it does ask you to read, it asks you to watch, it asks you to have conversations. But it also asks you to do two important things, which my teachers find critical. And one is to notice. And it's to learn to notice the things around you, but also learn to notice what isn't around you. So if you walk down the hallway of a school, who's missing? If you look at your curriculum, who's missing? But then the other part that is required, if you participate in the 21-day action plan, is you also have to act. And so you have to take some form of action when you see something, you stop a racist joke, you um, make something get changed in your curriculum, you stop something you see happening, and that pushes people out of their discomfort zone, and you may be uncomfortable doing it, but the more times you do it, the more comfortable you'll become and the more change you will participate in. So those are two that my students, my students have participated in and say it has been the most life-transforming thing they've done in their entire graduate program. Yeah, I, when you talk about uh, going back to the 60s and, and the uh, carryover into society about uh, not seeing color, um, and, and Marguerite, you mentioned microaggressions. I, I always remember, sort of in an embarrassed kind of way, a time when people said with great pride, some of my best friends are colored. <laughs> and and yeah. meant that to be, you know, this this thing about, you know, I don't see color. I You know, I am not a racist. And there's a big difference between not being a racist and being anti-racist. And that's... That's how the conversation seems to have changed recently. Yeah, I think you so. I, yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, there is, I think it was Howard Zinn who said, um, there's no neutral or you can't, you can't be neutral on a moving train. 
And racism is the status quo. White supremacy is the status quo in this country. And that's the moving train we're on. And so being neutral, uh, you can say, well, I'm not a racist, but that's actually just sort of going along for the train ride. So to be anti-racist, we need to understand how that train moves. We need to understand how racism works um, in, this, in, in a deeper way. You know, in the 1960s in the Civil Rights Movement, we were looking at laws that we could actually read and absorb, or we were looking at, during Jim Crow at signs above toilets and sinks where we could say, I do or I don't agree with that. Right now, we're looking at deep systemic racism, which is so much harder for people to, to educate people about and for people to grapple with. But to be anti-racist, uh, we really do need to understand how systems function, how they, uh, how they privilege some people while simultaneously discriminating others. And then we need to be able to challenge the systems and challenge the beliefs that led to those systems um, or the values that led to those systems. And so that being anti-racist means signing up to say, yeah, I, I want to I change the direction this train is moving in, and I'm willing to put in the work to educate myself and get into communities of people who are also interested in, do, in, in being anti-racist. Is, is the timing right for, for, this, uh, for this idea? Yes. Um, I think, I think the timing and, you know, um, Kendi has the book out on being an anti-racist right now, and there's all kinds of other things. But yes, because what I'm seeing through these movements that are going on are people beginning to realize that it is deep and it's big, and we've been through this before, and they're beginning to, you know, as Debbie would say, they're beginning to wake up. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's beyond waking up. I think it's, I, you know, I see so many young people participating, but not just participating in the protests and the marches, but understanding why they need to. And I think that's a big difference. They're not participating mm -hmm. just because it's cool. They're participating because they're beginning to understand and have conversations and realize, you know, we just, we can't do this again. We've done it over and over and over. And I don't know if you read um, the op-ed that John Lewis sent to the New York Times before he passed away, but that's a call for action. That's a call that says, keep going. And I, I see a lot of our young people saying, Yes, and knowing why, and I see a lot of the people of my generation saying, "Yes, we did it. We made some movement before. Let's make more." And uh, mm -hmm. and this is a good time for that. Um, I, and I want to explore this idea of timing a little bit in the uh, um, happenstance of a pandemic. But uh, I have to take a break here. Marguerite, uh, Debbie, can you stand by for about four minutes, and then we'll dig down some more on this? Sure, sure. I can. Thank you. Okay. For those of you listening to us on WFOV, our voice is Radio 92.1 FM in Flint. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine mu- music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But and while you would possibly never even consider counting how many piece- pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on on the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for four. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the Thunderbird's kissing cousin, get in a Ford, get Ford a try, so don't be standing on. 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with our conversation about the 21-Day Racial Equity Habit-Building Challenge with two of its creators. We have Debbie Irving and uh, Dr. Marguerite Pennick-Parks. And uh, Marguerite, Debbie, welcome back. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for sticking around. I, you know, this is a very, very strange time for everyone. Um, and one of the reasons that I asked before the break about is this the right time to be uh, making this challenge, we're getting such conflicted messages on the evening news. We have people uh, being encouraged in many ways to get out and and protest and get their voices heard while at the same time uh, health and government officials are saying stay in Um, doesn't this pandemic put kind of a cloud over efforts to get people more together I you know I think that uh, your sense that there's something about the timing of this that's powerful is right spot on. And I actually think it's working more for us than against us. Um, I think that part of the reason this moment feels so different than other moments is that the the pandemic has put every single one of us in a state of limbo. Uh, We are discombobulated. We we can't predict the future. So there's an unsettledness there. And add to that words, our favorite sports, teams aren't playing we can't go to concerts we can't be running around and so we're just in this space where when we had the triple murders of brianna taylor ahmed aubrey and george floyd also during that time frame we had amy cooper uh call you know threatened to call the police on christian cooper in central park the bird watching incident you know all of those events happened close together at a time that was a unique moment in time Um, I also think that there's been an infrastructure slowly but surely being built across the country to that a a racial justice infrastructure, including the White Privilege Conference, including Black Lives Matter movement and and surge. So there are all these new organizations and people who are connected to one another to sort of to meet this moment. Um, And on the other thing I will say that feels so different to me in this moment is I am hearing black, indigenous, and people of color speak their truth in ways I never have before. Mm -hmm. On social media, you know, personally in my friendships, um, to audiences when I'm co-presenting. And so there's just a level of truth-telling. Something's been unleashed. And I don't think you can put that toothpaste back in the tube. So... Um, there's a lot that's happening that isn't in pro- so protest. Um, perhaps you know that raises um, in terms of pandemic. Does that increase? I mean, I've been to several protests here in Boston, and people do wear masks and we do socially distance. Uh, we're outdoors, so I don't see that being a big threat. And even if protests got shut down because of social media and this infrastructure, the movement is not going to stop. It's kind of interesting, um, and and I like the way you characterize that with everybody being sort of stuck in limbo, and then all of these uh, uh, stories being told while everyone is watching. Mm-hmm. 
And also, yeah. don't you think, yeah, um, sorry, Marguerite, I was just going to no, add the point that I, I, I think there are a lot of uh, white Americans who've been comfortable to this point, who've trusted their government to this point, who may suddenly be feeling differently. And that puts us that puts us uh, closer to being on the same page with black and brown Americans who have never trusted government, I, have I, never felt their interests were cared about. I, I think a lot of white people, and myself included, thought maybe we'd reached, um, if not the end, as uh, um, Winston Churchill famously, famously said, maybe the beginning of the end, um, when uh, Barack Obama was elected. You know, I, I, I give this lecture to my students very often, is this idea that, especially white people, we we become complacent because it's not out there. And then it's like it's like the racism goes underground. And then all of a sudden something happens, like for a while it was, you know, like the L.A. riots would happen, and they go, oh, my goodness, we have a race problem. And then it would come up, and then it would go back down, and everybody, white people would become complacent again. And then something else would happen, Trayvon Martin. Oh, my goodness, we have a racism problem. And then people... And that's what I feel is different about this one, is I think people are beginning to see that pattern and are beginning to recognize those moments that when they were complacent, these things weren't stopping. They just weren't seeing them. And I think what's happening now with the emergence of social media is especially young people are beginning to see that it never went away and all those times that they were being complacent, it was still happening. And they're realizing they can't be complacent. That, I mean, it never did go away. It just, white people chose to ignore it for a while. And then something happens and they jump on the bandwagon and then they go back. And that's what's different for me now, is they're recognizing over and over. I mean, those three that's happening one after another. And now they're appearing almost every day in the news. And young people are seeing it because they're all on their phones and they're realizing it. And young people are launching onto that nonviolent idea. And that's what these protests are really about. You know, when, when things calm down after the, they, they're kneeling, they're not looting, they're protesting. And that's what Americans have the right to do. That's what we're founded on is my ability to say, this isn't right. The 21-day um, the racial equity habit-building challenge, it calls for actions to be taken. Um, what are some of those actions? You say, do one thing each day for 21 days to broaden your horizon and adjust your opinion, um, but what... Uh, what are some of those things? You mentioned reading lists and podcasts, but, um, you know, some people are not going to be sure um, how to initiate this. Well, you know, Tom, uh, just before I called in, I Googled 21-Day Challenge and Michigan, and guess what came up? The Michigan League for Public Policy is running a 21-day racial equity challenge starting on August 10th. Um, so if people go to the mlpp.org slash 21-day racial equity challenge or just Google it as I did, 
uh, you'll come to a page and you can you can sign up. And so what people will do um, in any 21-day challenge, whether it's run by Michigan, uh, uh, adapted by Michigan League for Public Policy or anywhere else, the curriculum structure is the same. And so what we asked, we wanted something to be doable. So every day for 21 days, you're going to either look at a, watch a short video, listen to a podcast, read an article, as Marguerite noticed, uh, mentioned, take a list that we've created to go out and notice the world a little differently. Maybe you'll take an action. Um, that might mean uh, joining a, a anti-racist group in your area. It might mean uh, following some new people on social media. It might mean writing a letter to, uh, if this is a public policy plan, maybe part of their action that they design will be to write a letter to a um, some kind of a government official, who knows. But the idea is that it's not meant to be overwhelming. And the other thing that we really wanted to accomplish in it, you know, if you sat down and read a book for 21 days, you would be getting one person's um, perspective. We wanted people to get introduced to multiple voices and multiple perspectives through multiple modalities so that people could start to get a sense of the landscape, this infrastructure that I keep talking about. Uh, for me, when I started waking up, I was I was shocked by what I was learning about my own country. I was equally shocked that there had been people who could have helped me awaken earlier if only I'd known they existed. So it's really important for people um, who want to be involved in racial justice to understand that there's a whole world of us out here doing this work, and we are ready for you. Were you glad to see the... Uh the Michigan agency pick up the challenge and, and uh, adapt it and, and promote it? Is that what you're hoping uh, will happen around the country, that organizations like that will, uh, will help in getting this in front of people? There are so many organizations out there. You know, Debbie said if you Google it, we've had YWCA's or YMCA's and entire states pick it up. Um, we've had all kinds of groups because one of the things for me is people who aren't comfortable talking about race, this is going to make you engage, it's going to make you learn, and it's going to give you connections with other people to talk and to act. Um, but yes, groups, pick it up. Do it with just your friends. We have churches doing it. We have schools doing it. Um, and as Debbie said, it's it's doable, and you'll learn so much from doing it. This is going to, I don't know exactly how to frame this, but how do we, how do we know we're getting results? Oh, that's such a good question. That's <laughs> such a good question. In fact, uh, we've been, we've been trying to think about, you know, and Marguerite has, has drawn up some drafts of assessments. Marguerite, I think you should take that question. Well, well, I think, you know, when I ask my students to do it, one of the things I ask them to do is reflect on what they did. So if they read an article, one of the things I ask them to do is reflect on what did you learn from this article and what are you going to do with what you learned. If you watch a TED Talk, what did you learn? And I think that that's really one of the things that's nice about the 21-day action plan is you can reflect on your own or you can talk to your friends and reflect together. But that, to me, is it. But not just what did you learn, but what are you going to do with what you learned? 
How is it going to change your behavior? How are you going to look at things with eyes more open to see the realities of you know, our history and what was left out of our history? Um, and that's what the assessment will ask you to do, is in essence say, what did you do? Why did you choose that? What did you learn? And what are you going to do with it? And, but in 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 the wake of these efforts by a lot of people, and this could be a very nuanced sort of discussion, but if we just just make it black and white, a lot of white people take the challenge and start learning and and trying to change their habits. Um, how do black people know that they're doing it and, and that it's working? And yeah. mm-hmm. you know how how do they feel? safer, more respected, et cetera? Well, you know, I think if you look at the recent protests, what has been shocking to black, indigenous, and and people of color, and people in the Black Lives Matter movement specifically, is how many white people hit the streets. How many white people have been donating money, have been showing up, you know, in person for these protests. And I think that that's a way you measure and I'm not saying our plan is the only thing behind that, but it is a way to get people engaged. So, for instance, in doing the plan, you know, one of the habits that we're looking for are where are you getting your news? Who's, whose voices are you hearing? Who are you following on social media? Uh, do you know who the anti-racist groups and, and leaders are in your own community? Um, let's help you connect to them. And so... I think that we're trying to drive people into the work or, or invite people into the work and also help people get equipped to understand what the work of anti-racism even looks like. What is it? So, um, I, and I will tell you, so one of the organizations who was the earliest to pick up the plan and use it in a, the challenge, I use the word challenge and plan interchangeably, was Food Solutions New England. And the food justice um, uh, that that sector of social justice in this country has really been doing a lot of work, and Food Solutions New England has really been driving it by doing this plan once a year. So they adapted the resources that we had, and they traded some out for food justice and food injustice-specific resources. They they launched it, and they ran it, uh, invited it, opened it to everybody nationwide. They ran it online way before we were in Zoom land like we are now. So they were way ahead of their time. They've now done it, Margaret, I think it's five years in a row. And yes, so, uh, yeah, and so it's the people of color who are in that food network who are designing and driving, taking the lead in that program. And they are, um, they noticed such a huge difference in the way their organization and the national network is interacting because of the plan that they've really been promoting it. And in fact, if you go to the Michigan League of Public Public Policy's 21-day challenge site, the first thing you see is that we would like to thank Food Solutions New England, whose challenge we have used as a model. So that that's how the Michigan group heard about it. So um, I think the the... Yeah, was someone about to say something? Yeah, it's Marguerite. I'd like to add one thing. I um, I always tell my students, you can only control what you can control. And, you know, because they're always, well, how do we let, make this large systemic change? And I'm like, you can make the change where you can make the change. 
What the 21-day action plan helps you do is see where you need to make the change and how other people have made change. And so when you ask about, you know, where do, where do black people, like for my teachers, maybe their school has no multicultural books. And my, my teachers will suddenly notice it. And so suddenly they'll start buying those books. They'll start getting it in there. And people will start to see that they, they matter. And so I think that they're little small ways. Once you start to notice the inequities, you need to take the action to change the inequities in any way that you can, big or small, because some people have more power than others, and you need to, you need to act. And I think that's where you say, how can we see a difference with each person stepping up and making a difference in the way that they can you know, when you when you talk about how surprised um, a lot of uh, indigenous and uh, people of color are at white participation in these uh, various protests in the wake of, of the killings you mentioned, George, George Floyd and, and so on, um, and, and I couldn't help thinking, you know, Going back to to even the 50s and 60s, there were a lot of white people involved in those movements. But in the past, white people tended to take over movements and enact all kinds of, you know, governmental changes, thinking that they were helping when, in fact, some of these programs were not being particularly effective and they didn't know why. And you just said something, I, I can't remember if it was Debbie or Marguerite, about the um, food program, that there were people of color initiating the program. And I think it's important here maybe to inject that as people are coming together and doing these things, that the decision-making and, and the planning and the implement, uh, implementation has to become uh, inclusive. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, anti-racism, it's not just about getting rid of racism or challenging racism. It's about creating a more humane world for everybody. Racism is a de dehumanizing system that certainly dehumanizes people of color, and it also dehumanizes us white people to a certain degree. So when you think about the movement for Black Lives Matter um, and the idea, one of the ideas coming out of the, move, the, uh, the movement for Black Lives Matter is defunding the police. That's a perfect example of the kind of idea that a white person probably would not come up with, but people who have been historically targeted um, and abused by police for centuries and understand the roots of policing have a different idea about how to bring more humanity to our communities uh, that not only um, uh, maintain safety but but increase the level of safety by creating by increasing the level of care so the movement for black, for black lives matter is very clear that we want white people in this we want support we want multiracial coalition but really who should be leading this and reimagining a world that's more humane are the people who have been the most impacted by the white supremacist design of this country. And who's been most marginalized by that design? It's not just black, indigenous people of color. 
it's it's those people who are also um, uh, queer, trans, uh, impoverished, disabled. And so the more marginalized a person is, the more barriers they have personally experienced, the more they understand the system. Those are the people who are really being pushed to the center to reimagine a more humane world. Why is it so hard for people universally to grasp the concept that people should be treated the way you want to be treated? Hmm. I mean, <laughs> it, seems, it, it, okay. it seems like such a no-brainer that, that that should be, you know, the, the, the message for and from everyone. Treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, I think that I, I, I'm going to guess that if we could poll every single person living in the United States, most people would state that those were their values. And yet white supremacy, this organizational design of the United States, is a racial hierarchy. It's a gender hierarchy. It's based in scarcity. We think about ourselves. We're taught to think about ourselves as individuals. Um, and so we're all sort of competing and trying to climb the ladder. And, and this is all wrapped around uh, capitalism. And so there's a sense of we never have enough time and we never have enough money. And, um, and so we're sort of on this hamster wheel. And I think in that mode, no matter how steadfast my values are to treat another person the way I'd like to be treated, I'm living in a system that does not promote that. It promotes me watching out for myself and maybe my family and getting ahead. There's a gentleman. Getting, in, getting ahead means leaving someone else behind, by the way. Yes. And, and that's what I was going to say. There's a gentleman, Dr. Jamie Washington, who I met at the White Privilege Conference. He's an African-American gentleman. And he talks about this, and he talks about the power structure and how there's this fundamental belief that if I give you some of my power, then I lose some of my power. And that we're fighting for each other's power. And then he says, but that's really not what it's about. What it's about is liberty and justice for all. And I think that that's one of the misperceptions in this country is that if I give you some of my power, then I become less powerful. It's not that we can share. It has to be an either or. And that's what I take away from what Dr. Washington does when he does this talk. Uh. We just have about a minute left until we uh, until we get to the break. Is it? Uh, do you want to stick around and talk for a few more minutes, or, or should we tell people where they can find out more? I, I can hang around. Okay. Yeah, I can hang around too. Okay. Well, once again, if you're uh, listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise and go wherever they go when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget that uh, you can visit our, uh, our website uh, archives um, and, and scroll through uh, and, and search the archives 
for interviews like the one we're we're having today and and uh, many others on a, on this and a variety of topics so feel free to explore the the website at tomsumnerprogram.com we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more with uh, Marguerite Pennick Parks and Debbie Irving right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. 
Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman's Sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman's sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name this were This is sarsaparilla? U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back. We continue our conversation about race, race relations, and what to do about it through uh, a conversation with the creators of the um, 21-Day Racial Equity Habit-Building Challenge. Now, I have to look for that on my form here every time to make sure that I I remember it properly. But we have uh, with us by phone Debbie Irving, author of Waking Up White, and Dr. Marguerite Pennick parks and uh, they were both involved in the in the creation and launch of this uh, uh, plan the challenge as marguerite calls it um and and thanks for sticking around both of you welcome back thank you it's good to be back the and i would love that tequila i don't know where you got that tequila ad but <laughs> that that had me howling i'm glad <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get a lot of compliments on that one. I've had it. I've had it for years. Um, oh, I got it from it a certain. Is it on Facebook? I, 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 I could probably figure out a way to share it to you. Um, it's yeah. it's been around for years. It came from a service at a radio station I worked at a long time ago, and I've just kept it and <laughs> dropped it in wherever uh, you know, just here and there. And I get a lot of comments on it. It was brilliantly done. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and and thanks for for mentioning that and noticing that. Um, we've been talking about you know almost parenthetically the the history of um, efforts to combat racism over the decades and 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 the struggles and and how difficult it is and it's you know been going on for. Not just the last decades of of my life, but uh, but historically in this country, going all the way back to the Civil War and beyond. Um, how much difference can we make in twenty one days? You know, I'm let I Debbie answer that. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly don't think uh, Dr. Moore or Marguerite or I or anybody who engages in the plan thinks that they're going to spend 21 days and be done. Um, But what we do think is that it's important to build habits, daily habits, um, around uh, engaging in this issue, understanding how racism is showing up. You know, for instance, when COVID came up, it impacted communities of color very differently than it did white communities. And so I was so glad when that hit that I had, I knew who to follow. I knew how to tune in and learn about why and how that was happening. So the point of the 21 day plan is to help people get in. It's like a, it's like an on-ramp into the work. Or if you're Mm -hmm. already doing the work, it's an on-ramp to maybe gathering more people around you. Um, or just like a, a rocket booster shot to the work you're doing. Then we also have 
Um, we have the uh, the main plan that we designed, you know, um, and have updated again and again. We created that about five years ago. We also have a number of other plans that we have created. So we have one for indigenous issues. We have one for um, young people. It's called Youth, Faith, Race, and More. We have one for protest and rebellion. It's a 21-day challenge to help get people, help people understand this moment we're in. You know, what is the history of protest and rebellion? And we also have one, you know, this is real, this can be real burnout territory, being an activist. So we have the 21-day activism self-care challenge. So none of these are meant to be, um, you know, the, the elixir, the one and done. They're all meant to contribute to the vast body of, of tools out there for people to use to get in and stay in the work. Well, and that's and that's the key. And I, I didn't mean to be facetious by asking what could be accomplished in 21 days, but I, I'm wondering if the hope isn't that after three weeks of doing this, if that isn't long enough to get people to change their behavior on a more permanent way. You know, I, I, Debbie, I really liked what you said about it being an on-ramp. That's a great metaphor that I'm going to continue to use. And you know, the research does show that it takes 21 days with which to change a habit or to get started, in essence, changing a habit. And and the only thing that I can tell you is, yes, it's only 21 days, but it really opens people's eyes. I mean, that's what my students say. You know, they say, well, I'm never going to find this much stuff out there. And then they're amazed at what they find out there. So once you start to see it, and that's what this really does, is it helps you start to see it. The goal is that you're going to see it more and more and more and become more and more engaged or aware of it. Dr. Beverly Tatum talks about it as learning to spot the stuff. And for me, it, it is. It's learning to go out there and see. And once you see it, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. That's what my students say. I now see it everywhere. And it's like, good. That's what this is supposed to do. I think the on-ramp is a wonderful way to look at that. It's we, a way with which to get you started. We have to wrap it up here, but, but quickly, how can, um, how can we translate this conversation uh, to listeners uh, in a way that, that tells them where to start and, and how, to, how to get going with this? The, the plan, if you go to either Dr. Eddie Moore Jr.'s website, which I don't have in front of me, but if you look at America and more, or if you go to Debbie's website, and I'll let her share that in a minute, all of the plans are listed there, but I recommend that you don't do the plan in isolation, but that you get a group of people and do the plan together. Debbie? Yeah, and that can be your friends, that can be your family, um, it can be your coworkers, any group at all. And if that intimidates you, then just do it by yourself or one person. I don't let the um, if that feels like one step too many, just do it by yourself for starters. And people do the plan again and again and again. We have so many resources for people to pick from that you can, um, you, you know, you could do it three times a year and you and you would still find new resources. Um, so, yeah, I would send people to eddiemorejr.com or debbieirving.com. Uh, Debbie's with a Y, Irving's with an I. And both of those, re both of our, our resources, both of our websites are resource-rich, so you'll find lots of information beyond the 21-day plan. And I would definitely encourage people, since many of your listeners, I'm assuming, are in Michigan. Is that a true yeah. statement? Yeah, I would think so. Um, 
Yeah, that I would I would go to the uh, the Michigan uh, League for Public Policy and check out. I, I've been scrolling through this as we've been talking. They've put together a fantastic plan. Um, they have picked four people who are going to be doing it. You're all going to be reading the same stuff on the same day. So they've, they've done all the work for you. All you have to do is sign up and show up. Well, it's been an honor and a privilege talking with both of you. Thanks for spending this time with me this morning. Thank you very much for having us on. It's been wonderful. All right. Take care. Okay. That was uh, Debbie Irving and Marguerite Pennick parks talking about the 21-day, I've got to look it up again, 21-day Racial Equity Habit Building Challenge. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Just a simple man making a song Try to get by But it's not so easy when it takes so long To get it right Seems I've been working my life away Say what I'm feeling All I can do at the end of the day is thank God that I am alive. Give me the strength to go on, and I'll make it right. Give me the reach to.
dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 